0: WCNC Charlotte, this is Flashpoint.
1: Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. This week, we are speaking one-on-one with Senator Tom Tillis, now serving North Carolina and Washington for more than eight years. And he's earning a reputation as one of the most bipartisan senators in Congress. A dealmaker, some say, willing to work across the aisle. But that puts him at odds with much of Washington. I spoke with the senator from Washington earlier this week about everything from the debt ceiling to classified documents. Senator Tom Tillis joins us now from D.C. Senator Tillis, thanks for coming on as always. Thank you. All right, let me start with the obvious question, and that is, Senator, do you have any classified documents in your home or or your garage or in your office?
2: I have never had a classified document outside of a classified room. That's how the rules work in Congress. I understand that those are supposed to be the rules in the White House. So we've got a lot beyond the responsibility of uh, whoever was responsible for the documents leaving the White House. We've got to take a look at their entire process and do better. Uh, You know, we've got to let the investigations play out to see what the content of the documents were, how or if they were used after they came out of the uh, the White House, but they all need to be held accountable.
1: You have specific insight that the rest of us don't have. Is it possible that someone like you um, or, or Mr. Pence or Mr. Biden or Mr. Is it possible that you have this these documents and you just don't realize it? Well,
2: there are some people that are wondering if some of the documents were classified after they were taken out of the White House. But let me tell you, when when I review classified documents, they're in a red folder uh, labeled some level of secrecies, top secret or even higher clearances. So they're pretty obvious. It's not like it's an unmarked document. Each page is marked classified. The folder is marked classified. We have a check-in, check-out system in the Senate. I don't know how uh, President Biden was able to get classified documents out of the Senate when he was here. It may be because he was chair of foreign relations and he took liberties with taking something off Capitol Hill that he shouldn't have. But these are all the facts that need to be documented. The the, the biggest concern that I have is there is an argument for overclassification. I've asked a number of times in classified briefings, why on earth is this classified? I read about it in the Washington Post this morning. Um, So we can have a discussion about whether or not it should have been classified but the fact of the matter it was and we can't make decisions about what should and
1: shouldn't be shared if it's in fact top secret information do you think there should be congressional hearings more special counsels
2: I do. I think that you know we have a special counsel for President Trump. We have a special counsel uh, for President Biden. We'll, we'll see whether or not they do something for um, Vice President Pence. But I think that those investigations have to be independent. Uh, that the, the you know some of the pundits on TV uh, dismissing one and and uh, upping the pressure on another investigation makes no sense to me. You get to the facts, and the facts lead you to what to do um, based on the. the the totality of the information you identify.
1: All right, let's talk debt ceiling. The U.S. hit its debt ceiling last week. The Treasury Department now taking what they call extraordinary measures to prevent default. We're already teetering on the edge of a recession. You've got jobs, livelihoods at risk, and we know the U.S. has never defaulted on its debt. I know you told CNN that you're going to wait and see what the House does. But given what we saw with the speaker vote, what gives you confidence with our entire economy here at stake that the House can effectively tackle this thing? Yeah.
2: Well, first off, I think that uh, Speaker McCarthy and the Republicans are right to say that we have to bend the curve on spending. The American people need to know that each of them, every living, breathing person in the United States, is approaching about a hundred thousand dollars debt to retire our current debt, which is which is past thirty trillion, almost 33, uh, $32 dollars. So, I think that Speaker McCarthy, I think President Biden has made a mistake by saying he would not uh, negotiate president Biden needs to understand Republicans won the election have a majority in the house and they rightfully should be at the table and they need to come up with a compromise. The reason why I think the house should take the lead on this is that we have to see something that we can get 60 votes for here in the Senate. But I think that the American people need to understand that this is critical. We're reaching a point to where our debt is almost uh, it's getting to a breaking point and a few more trillion dollars. Could cause disastrous economic consequences. I hope that Speaker McCarthy and the President come to terms that we uh, that we avoid a default, which would probably not really occur until May or June, and uh, and look out for the interests of the American people.
1: You've gotten a reputation as this deal maker in the Senate. I'm not sure it's one that you completely like, um, mm-hmm. but but it's usually said in a positive way uh, that that you seem to be wanting to get things done. Um, With that in mind, what's your biggest obstacle to that end of compromise, of getting things done? The Democrats in the Senate or some of the Republicans in the House?
2: Well, you know, I think it's. Uh, I tell everybody, I'm not one big kumbaya. Let's let's be friends and and pass a lot of bipartisan bills. I look at the specific bill, I see whether or not it's sound policy. I see whether or not it's it's taking care of a number of things like the Respect for Marriage Act, religious freedom, and then I move forward on that transaction. And and we're going to have to do that uh, with the challenges that we confront in this Congress. And it will be different uh, if you take a look at some. Of the bipartisan efforts I've been involved in. There are some people who have uh, supported most, not all of them, but but there are different groups of people with different priorities that represent their ideology. They represent the interests of their constituents back in their states, and I'm going to continue to look for those opportunities to move forward. We can't wait on perfect because perfect doesn't happen here. The founding fathers wanted to form a more perfect union, but they knew it was flawed and it was going to be difficult. And all I'm trying to do is produce policy
1: that I think benefits people in North Carolina. Carolina and the country, and I'm going to continue to work on it. Effective governance, something we talk about all the time. It's the it's the minimum that people should expect um, of you all up in Washington. Let's talk immigration. You're recently back from the border. The, why is this? It, why is this issue something that people should really care about? And what were you able to see up close there?
2: Uh, I went down to uh, uh, El Paso, the sector in El Paso also went over to uh Uh, Western Arizona, the Yuma sector. And what I saw is complete loss of control of the border. What I saw are Border Patrol agents, ICE agents, customs agents with morale about as low as it's ever been. I saw a 12 foot gate that three years ago had 8,000 people cross through it. Two years ago, it had 2,000 people cross through it. Three years ago, last year, it had 300,000 people cross through it speaking more than 200 languages coming from 170 countries. We have got to help Border Patrol secure the border. We do need, and I think that's one thing that my Democratic colleagues finally understood, that we have to secure the border. It requires walls, it requires technology. We've got to get our Border Patrol agents back on the line versus babysitting, driving buses, and and, and dealing with this crisis that we have. Uh, over 3 million apprehensions could be possible Possible over the next 12 months, we don't know who these are an increasing number are trying to evade apprehension and think about this. If you cross the border, and you present yourself to a border patrol agent under the Biden administration, you're probably going to be released within a matter of days or a week or so. Why on earth would you evade detection? Why wouldn't you present yourself to a border patrol agent? Now we have tens of thousands of people coming here trying to outrun law enforcement and I've got to believe an unhealthy number of them are not good people. We have to control Control the border we have to create an orderly process we have to stop the abuse of our asylum system and for that then we can have a discussion about immigration reform but only if we have a very solid foundation in securing the border and reforming our asylum system, which is being abused by the thousands. Oh, and I should mention something else. Everybody who crosses the border has to pay a toll. They are paying thousands of dollars to transnational criminal organization, an estimated $800 million a year that these same cartels are using to send tons of drugs across the border, including deadly fentanyl, that's killing over 100,000 people a year in this country. It's got to stop.
1: You were part of a bipartisan group that passed the infrastructure bill. It's brought billions to North Carolina. Here in Charlotte, our transit plan sort of remains in limbo. As you know, city folks need the support of Raleigh, also need federal funding. As a senator, as as a guy who prides himself in being practical when it comes to policy, And as a resident of the Charlotte area as well, we should say, what compromise would you encourage among these stakeholders to get a transit plan through here in Charlotte?
2: Well, I think we have to look at the business model for the transit plan. Back when I was speaker, I supported it. I fulfilled a commitment that was made by prior uh, leaders of the North Carolina House. Uh, I think that they've done uh, well uh, by extending the lines uh, as far as up to uh, uh, UNC Charlotte. Uh, The question is, what's the business model? Uh, Does it make sense? I've seen some towns uh, get away from what I think is a viable business model. Some cities across the United States, I hope that Charlotte and Raleigh and other states that are moving forward with mass transit and rail systems are able to present a business model that I can support and that I can try and seek federal funding for.
1: More of our conversation with the senator coming up after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint this week we sat down with Senator Tom Tillis just a few days ago he was part of some key hearings over the debacle with Ticketmaster a few months ago some arguing the ticket website has too much power but Senator Tillis says he just wants Americans to have equal opportunity to some of the nation's biggest events. Uh, Let's talk Ticketmaster it was the topic yesterday I know on the hill Uh, those executives on the hot seat you're calling for more transparency when it comes to what they do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's uh, I
2: think one of the things that can fix this problem without big government coming in and uh, and controlling markets, which I have a real problem with, is just simply be uh, transparent on the front end. We had an uh, an artist yesterday, uh, Clyde Lawrence, say that he doesn't really know what. what the ticket price ultimately costs. He only knows what he told a ticket master or Live Nation what his what his band would like to charge. I think on the front end, it's fair to say a performer should know, okay, your baseline ticket cost is, in his case, it was $30. But what do you project based on your business assumptions the ultimate cost of the consumer is going to be? And then that artist can decide whether or not uh, that's appropriate. And I, I think that that kind of transparency that can be done without, a single line of statute being passed by uh, Congress would go a long way towards resolving the problems. The also the industry has to do a better job of uh, countering these bots that are going out and purchasing large blocks of tickets and scalping them. I don't have a problem with somebody buying a ticket; they decide they don't want to go, uh, or the ticket prices have gone up so they're able to um, to maybe make money. I mean, some people call it scalping; I call it offering a product that people are willing to pay for. Um, but we have to get rid of the uh, an unhealthy number of tickets that are being purchased by organizations and then been re- resold. I think the Ticketmaster wants to fix that too because their reputation's on the line, but they have to step up their technology efforts to get it done.
1: Uh, let's talk about respect for marriage. You mentioned it earlier. Um, as you know, back in, I think tw- 10 years ago or something, um, when you were Speaker of the House, uh, you supported Amendment 1, banning gay marriage. Now. Senator, this is not a gotcha question in any way or or even suggesting that you flip-flopped, but polls show most Americans feel differently about gay marriage than they did 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Are you one of those people?
2: Well, I think first, for uh, for my friends and people who have supported me in the past, I would encourage them to read the six-page bill. I would have particularly encourage them to read the section that, that my office played the most prominent role in, and that was the religious freedom protections that uh, that the religious community was exposed to after the Supreme Court decision allowing same-sex marriage in this country. Our bill simply says if a state – so let, let's assume that that Supreme Court decision is reversed. In North Carolina, it would mean that we would have a ban on same-sex marriage. In other states, we would not. And the whole intent of the bill was to say, we're gonna let the states decide. Um, and right now, as a matter of a Supreme Court decision, it is allowed in every state, but if it were to be overturned, then North Carolina goes back to the policy that was passed 10 years ago. And then they will have to decide whether or not that's consistent uh, with the, uh, the priorities of the people of North Carolina. Uh, we, had a, we, we had religious institutions who do not recognize same-sex marriage, do not sanction it in, in their Christian faith, who endorsed this bill because they understood the step forward that we took on religious protections. And I think if if, if you read the six-page bill and you talk to some of the Christian organizations who supported the bill, then you're gonna find that we worked to make sure that religious liberties, we advanced religious liberties, and, and we did not sanction
1: same-sex marriage at the federal level. We've left that as an issue for the states. Two final questions, uh, both fairly quick. Uh, first, when it comes to 2024, anybody that you are ready to support when it comes to the president?
2: Well, we have to see how the field's shaping up. We, we know that President Trump is running again. We know that DeSantis may run again. Uh, there are, are other candidates who are making their way or potential candidates making their way through Washington. So That's a decision that uh, that I'll uh, take a look at uh, and maybe form an opinion on one candidate or, or another sometime in the spring.
1: Finally, and most importantly, how is your health? Uh, two years ago, you were diagnosed and treated for prostate cancer. We spoke to you at the time. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing fantastic. I've, uh, you know, I've gone back for my PSA test. Uh, I've got a, a zero or indetectable rating uh, just about six months after my surgery. One thing I would encourage everyone, if you have a family member uh, who has had prostate cancer, young men as early as their late 30s, early 40s, need to get the screening, get the PSA test every year. If you're diagnosed with cancer, get, uh, get early consultation. Sometimes the doctor will tell you to wait and monitor it. Other times, in my case, the doctor said that you need to uh, uh, pick an option. In my case, it was prostate surgery, fully recovered. I was on a mountain bike six weeks after my surgery, and I'm back to full activity for the last two years, and uh, God's blessed me.
1: And some would say that's the most important part of the entire interview we just did, Uh, that information right there. Senator, thank you, glad you're doing well. Uh, Let's talk again soon. Thank you. All right, more Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint CMPD sending the message stopping violent crime is a major priority here in Charlotte. Last year we saw 110 homicides, 72 people charged with murder. This week police updated City Council on crime here in Charlotte and how recruitment efforts are going as the department is still down hundreds of officers. WCNC Charlotte's Julia Kaufman has those details.
3: Homicides are up in the Queen City but overall violent crime according to CMPD is down 12.5%. The deputy chief points to their gun suppression team and mental health response team as two major wins as they deal with an officer shortage.
0: The answer before might have been to take somebody to jail. Today the answer is how do we get that person experiencing a mental health crisis the long term care and help that they need.
3: In 2022, CMPD doubled its community policing crisis response team from six officers and clinicians to 12. Plus, it's piloting a team of two mental health professionals that respond to low level calls of service. Deputy Chief Robinson says says these initiatives are also helping with response times.
0: The measures that we've taken to improve the 911 situation have already. Uh, taken root.
3: Amid a vacancy of hundreds of officers, CMPD is hiring civilians to answer 911 calls. Robinson says the officer shortage is a nationwide problem. Across the U.S., resignations were up 43 percent in 2021 compared to 2019. In Charlotte, 72 officers resigned in 2022, up from 67 in 2021 and 47 in 2020. CMPD hired 151 officers last year.
0: The competition within our job market is tight.
3: While Robinson is proud of CMPD's strides, Councilman Edmund Driggs says the city has a long way to go in reducing the number of homicides.
0: 110 people is not an acceptable outcome for the year.
3: One way CMPD says it's trying to prevent gun violence is through its new crime gun suppression team.
0: 283 firearms seized, 36 of those uh, were stolen firearms that were recovered, which is up 57 percent from 2021.
3: Robinson says their goals for 2023 are to continue to reduce violent crime and recruit quality officers in uptown. Julia Kaufman, WCNC Charlotte.
1: More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint this week. North Carolina lawmakers returned to Raleigh with new demand from school districts across the state. CMS leaders are approving dozens of changes they would like to see from state officials. It includes issues like the controversial school calendar law, higher pay for teachers with advanced degrees, and allowing retired teachers to return to the workforce full-time. WCNC Charlotte Shamaria Morrison breaks down how CMS plans to sway state lawmakers.
4: Lawmakers in Raleigh have one of the largest impacts on how schools in the state are run.
1: 90% of, our, of the um, rules and
4: regulations that Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools and all the schools across the state have to follow are made in Raleigh. Uh, what time we have to start school, how many hours of school we have to have. CMS board members will have meetings, and emails and even visit Raleigh to advocate for changes to laws impacting schools. This is an all encompassing plan that it is. It is for not only students and their families, it is for teachers as well that we are really seeking to be able to move the forward and, and deal with our staffing issues. I think we got to have a serious talk um, across the state of what we want to do with the calendar law and you know, I think what frustrates us is the 136,000 students that are in public charter schools they already get the advantage of take, going to scurrilary and taking their exam for winter break. Not every legislative item on the agenda is about state-level law. Some deal with the city of Charlotte and Mecklenburg County. We know that we have to get our CMS staff um, to and from our locations all over the county. So we're asking for bus passes for our CMS staff. And then for our high school students, we're asking if they are provided city bus passes as well. Some issues on the district's agenda could be a fight to gain support. It's critically important that we have a um, aggressive but achievable legislative agenda. I feel very confident that what the board has put together and passed is something we can get done. The question is, will it be a few months from now or a few years? Shamaria Morrison, WCNC, Charlotte.
1: And folks, come interact with us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. If there's something you want us to cover here on Flashpoint, a topic you want us to discuss, maybe take a deep dive into it, let us know. And as always, remember to subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next weekend.